It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We don't have a gambling segment per se this week, but we got a gambler to talk about probably probably this week. And a place where you can ask me a question on anything, you can go to Twitter as always each and every week. Just hit the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything and you can literally ask me a question on anything, sports or otherwise. Uh, it is a day we're not going to talk about the baseball situation because it's so fluid. Looked like it was dead in the water again last night. They canceled some more games. It's back on the table again today as we do this podcast on a Thursday. Um, so really not much to get into where that's concerned. But, Rick, we are neck deep in college basketball. Conference tournaments are underway. I'm sorry for your NKU Norse. You had a chance to to call maybe an NCAA tournament game, you know, and, and it's just a disappointing finish to a great season. Yeah, the turnaround was incredible, but, you know, you're up by 16 in the second half and find yeah. a way to lose that one and the final play, the way it went down. Yeah, it's tough to swallow if you were an NKU fan for certain. But, Skinny, this is one of the best weeks of the year. Everyone talks about that first week of the tournament, but championship week in some ways is just as good, if not better here. And locally, it's not looking great to start. You mentioned NKU, which is already done. Xavier appears to be done. We'll talk about that a little bit more. UC is about to play right here as we're recording this on Thursday afternoon against East Carolina. And then Kentucky will begin playing the SEC tournament on Friday night at 8.30 p.m. Their opponent is still TBD. But Skinny, we'll start with Xavier, who once again, in essentially the same exact situation they faced last year at this time, Needed to beat Butler in the first round of the Big East tournament, the first game of the Big East tournament, Wednesday afternoon, for essentially their spot in the NCAA tournament. A win and you're in type scenario for the Musketeers, a lose and you're more than likely out. Same as last year, they find a way to choke a game away in the final minute and overtime to Butler. There was some head-scratching plays here. Of course, the biggest one being the Paul Scruggs foul when the Musketeers were up by two with eight seconds or whatever to go that allowed Butler to tie the game and force overtime skinny. Is it time for Xavier to make a change at this point? Yeah, I think so. And, and I, you know, I, I'm not pinning yesterday on, on, I know it's easy to pin yesterday on Travis Steele and there's probably things you can pin it on, but he, he didn't go 13 to 29 at the line. Who knows what transpired in those last seconds of Paul Scruggs. He looked over to the sideline, looked like he sat, he felt like he heard somebody say something. Um, I'm not absolving him of that either. Even if you did, you're a grown-ass man who's played this game long enough. You ought to know situation, time, and score and all that stuff. Um, it's it's really inexcusable, uh, you know. And and so, uh, you know, you, you earned a loss on the floor more than you did, I think, from a coaching perspective. But I think some of it ties into the – that was a team that looked tight the whole day, looked like it knew it was on the line and just couldn't handle it. I don't know, is that on a coach or is that on the players? Now, all that said, at some point you can't just keep running this back and running this back and hoping for a different result because this is now a, a similar to finish to, to just about every year that he has been the coach, and at some point then you you got to make a change. You just have to. This one was so similar to last year that at some point, whether – it's on the players or the coaches or whoever, it ultimately falls on the responsibility of the coaches. When you continue to see a pattern like this, you really can't put it on anybody else. And you can say, maybe you don't have the right players in there. Well, four years in, that's your responsibility to have the right players in there. And you say, well, that some of these guys play with a low IQ and don't make good decisions. And the staff wouldn't have told them to do any of those things. That's fair. 
But again, ultimately, that's on you as the coach to get the right guys who do have a high IQ or will make good decisions into the right spots. It, it's, it's not an excuse at this point. It's not something that can explain away the problems of this team. And I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen at Xavier. We had talked a week or two ago about this, and I had told you that most of what I had heard to that point was that Travis wasn't in much danger. And uh, as long as things finished up okay and they made the tournament, there wasn't a, a lot of reason to really worry. But they hit the nuclear button. I mean, the worst possible scenario played itself out over the final couple weeks of the season. They did beat Georgetown, but aside from that, it was basically the worst case scenario at the end of the year here. And I think it's possible that some, some minds might've been changed inside the board of trustees at Xavier after another meltdown late in the season like this. Yeah. I, I, Cause I guess the question is what fallout do you have from the fan base? If you try to run this back again and what if it is a yet another, I mean, it's it, it, the problem for Travis Steele is he has no cachet as a head coach, Rick, that says, Hey, he'll turn this around. He did it at this place. Right. Um, and sometimes you do have to, as, a, as an administration, swallow hard and go, he's our guy, and we're going to stand by our guy, and we think he's going to get it right. Okay, but be prepared for fallout. That's all I'm going to say is be prepared for the fallout if you're going to do that. Um, but I, I think we're in a day and age of of you better get things done in a quick fashion, and I think this has been long enough to show whether you can get it done or not, and he just hasn't gotten it done. I think a lot of Xavier fans are going to agree with you. I think there are a lot of people from an outside perspective that are starting to agree with that opinion. And that's not to say it's the only option here. I think there are arguments to keep a coach that's only been in your program for four years. And it's not like Xavier has been a doormat in the Big East. You know, Xavier fans want to tell it to you like they've been Georgetown or DePaul the last four years. That hasn't been the case. They're not that far away from being a very competitive team in the big East, but these meltdowns year after, I mean, it, it is a trend at this point. It looks so similar the way these, th these things keep falling off the rails in terms of their season that yeah, it's something has to change. And I mean, the, the easiest way to do that is obviously to make a change at the top. Yeah. I, I can't remember. I exchanged text with last night. Um, but I, I think the other proof in the pudding is, uh, is this, you know, he's sub 500 in, in the Big East, I believe, Rick. I think he's not been above nine in, or above 500, if I'm not mistaken. I think overall sub sub 500 in the Big East. If I really want to go back and crunch numbers and take away by wins, how many real quality non-con wins have you gotten? And granted, some of that, you know, they, they have had some. But it just looks like in the Big East, and it's hard. It's a hard league. I'm not here to tell you it's not. It's not for the faint-hearted. It just he hasn't gotten it done. And, and, and that's where I'll just go back to if he had some pass cachet as a head coach, then you you might be able to survive this, but nothing suggest nothing suggests he's going to be a good head coach ever. I mean, that's the thing; he might be, but nothing suggests it because he's not done it anywhere to this point. So, I, I think that's where you have to make the change. You just have to, and it may just be it may be change for change's sake, but you have to. His best season in the Big East in terms of record was this first season when they finished nine and nine. Every right. year since then, they have been under five hundred, and. Your point is a good one about there being no track record to go off of here that says, oh, yeah, he's going to turn it around. On the flip side, I would also say this is probably the low point for him. This is probably the floor for him, right? And again, it's not all that far away. Like you you could legitimately see Xavier within the next couple of years being in the top half of the conference and them figuring this out and, and things running smoothly. But 
as you pointed to, there's also no no history of that. There's no there's no reason to think that it, it won't get better, but there's also no reason to think that it will. And that's the problem that you're left with with a coach that has no experience. And I mean, much like we've seen other retread coaches coach at the high major level, go down to a mid-major and kind of restart their career and get it back on track. I think that's still a possibility for Travis Steele if that's yes. how it plays out. If he yes. if he loses his job here, I don't think that's the end for Travis Steele as a head coach. Uh, I would be very interested in if I was a, a mid-major school looking to rebound here. Well, see, Darren Horn, for example, it just did – he. Things didn't work out in South Carolina. So he goes back down as an assistant for a major, gets a mid-major job at NKU and kind of resurrected his career a little bit, right? Yeah. No, I mean, and there's good examples of that. I mean, really, uh, Travis, now again, his, his half-brother, John Gross, had a history before at the mid-major level, before he went to Illinois and flamed out and then came back and is, is doing pretty well at the mid-major level again. So he's seen that firsthand a little bit differently in terms of the career path, but it's tough. I mean, this is one of the dangers of starting at this high of a level, you don't get to cut your teeth in a conference where you can more easily make a difference and you aren't coaching against other newbie head coaches or guys who maybe aren't at the top of the profession. You step right into a, a league where it's a war every single night for you. And it is, is not gone Travis Steele's way over the first four years. And real quick, Rick, and, and I don't want to absolve Paul Scruggs either. I mean, I, I for the life of me, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, my mind went numb when I watched that. I, I just looked at it, and I quickly looked at the bottom of the screen where it shows bonus, and I thought maybe I'd missed something, like Butler wasn't in the bonus. I, I looked real fast. I went, wait, well, what are you doing? It's just a, a really hard way to watch a senior like that, a fifth-year guy who's been around for so long, made the decision to come back after all the weird COVID stuff and and really just wanted to get this team into the tournament. To see him go down that way and, and end his career like that, that's hard to watch. But it really, in a lot of ways, I wrote this after the game, that it was kind of a microcosm of yes. the way this season has gone for Paul. Yes. At times, he'll make the brilliant play, like he had the and one with eight seconds to go on Xavier's end that, looked like it was going to win them the game. It was an incredible shot, something that maybe only he could do on this savior team. And they certainly have needed him to make plays like that throughout the year. Don't forget, and, the, fall, don't forget the fall away jumper on the baseline at the shot clock he made. Another incredible shot. And they've he's done things like that throughout this year. But then just as quickly, he'll turn around and give it all away with a head-scratching play, just as he did on that foul. And it, it was tough to watch. You feel bad, but it's also how's a big part of the team's issues late in the year is, you know, you need, you need your best players to play well. You need your leaders to be leaders. And it, it felt for whatever reason that Paul had kind of lost focus or checked out a little bit the, over the final weeks of the season. Although I will tell you, I thought up until the last week, cause he committed what four fouls in the last minute or three fouls. He had the offensive foul on the inbound. He fouled the kid coming down the lane. And then that foul, which, you know, that's, that's a little head scratching for, for all of those things to take place. But I thought for the most part, he played really well. I thought Zach Freeman at times was great. I mean, he was really good on the glass all day. Now defensively is another story, of course. Yeah, another but, story. I'm noting you, but yeah. And, and I mean, again, that's the, Xavier just completely fell apart late in the year on the defensive end. So there are a lot of things to look at. Unfortunately for Xavier fans, it's the same things you were looking at last year and some of the same things the year before that as well. So and that's why the clocks run out. Now, I, I think you might be right. And you, you never want to be calling for someone's job or anything I'm not, like that. I, yeah, but I hate it. I hate it. I know the, it's not like the kid's not working his ass off. He wants to be a college head coach and be a good one. Yeah, and it's just kind of the reality of the situation and where the, the storyline has gone at this point. It's, it's hard to have the conversation about Xavier basketball right now without talking about what's the future direction of the program because that's where we're at.
Yep. Now, Rick, they are they are according to to bracket matrix, and I looked at I think Jerry Palm and Joe Lenardi both have them in still. Bracket matrix still has them in, but it's really clinging by by a thread. I mean, you can't have any other chaos go go haywire. And in fact, you probably need like a Miami of Florida to lose. Uh, as we're doing this podcast on Thursday to lose today to a Boston college. They, you know, they're kind of on that, that cusp of it as well. Um, I, I, it, it almost seems impossible for them to get into the, at this point, even though they're technically in by most standards at the moment. And I think you tweeted this out yesterday. I can't, you, I'm paraphrasing, you can correct me on it. They don't look like an NCAA tournament team at the moment either. Yeah. I think that's just it. If you, if the eye test matters at all to members of the committee, Anyone who's watched the Xavier team over the last month and a half would not think it's an NCAA tournament team. They just have not looked like that at all. And they've only lost games during that time period, right. except for the one win Georgetown. over a terrible Georgetown team. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much where we're at here. Uh, Skinny, we again, we can't really talk much about UC because they're right about to play as we. Well, they have to. Let's, let's face it. So. Yeah, they have to win the whole thing, that, and that's bottom line. I don't think they're capable of doing that. So yeah. I'll cut, I'll cut it there. I, yeah. I wish them well. I mean, I think the first game for them is a very tough one too in East Carolina, and that it only is going to get tougher from there. I will make a prediction. I'm going to go. I, I think Memphis wins that tournament. I think they're playing that well right now. All right, Skinny. We'll talk about NKU as well in their championship loss uh looking back at the final play i think that's where everyone wants to start is you know you, trey calvin makes a big time shot for right state nku gets one more look at it and not they, a good one they try to push the ball up the floor with sam vinson he gets cut off throws it into the corner kind of a wild pass that bryson langdon had to catch with one hand to save from going out of bounds and readjust by the time he did that didn't feel like he had enough time to shoot it he kind of took a couple dribbles and then hoisted a wild fadeaway shot at the buzzer that didn't really have much of a chance go, of going in. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that final play, the possession there? I'm a big scramble mode guy. I, I, I usually like that. I'm not a big timeout. The only time I would take one if I have one is if I got a guy that got in trouble in a corner perhaps. But I'm, I'm kind of push it down the floor. Usually you get teams – they're excited for making the shot. They don't, you know, they sometimes don't scramble back properly, especially if you're pushing, and and you can usually get a quick, clean look. A lot of times, it may not be a great look if it's a if, if it's early in the game. You may not want that quick first look that you'd get in this situation. But for me, I want a, a clean look, and usually you get one. Hats off the right state uh, for for funneling Sam Vincent to where they funnel him to, and then for not fouling on the shot because it can be easy sometimes to jump at a shooter in that circumstance. They just kind of rose their arms up, made the tough shot shot uh, the, the shot tough. For, for Langdon to get off, and, and obviously it was a while when it didn't really come come all that close. So I don't mind him pushing in that scenario. I mean, the bottom line is, though, it, it, we can all look at the final few plays. Uh, you know, you're up 16, and the way they – thing that was a little distressing is the way they defended Rick in the Detroit game and the, the IPFW game, and for the first 30 minutes of this game, I'm just stunned that Wright State was able to do what they did offensively over the last 11, 12 minutes of that game. And Wright State is a really talented offensive team. You know, kudos to them. They made some shots. They they passed the ball well, all that stuff. It wasn't just one guy for them. It wasn't like one guy got hot and they rode it. It was multiple guys there at the end when they made the run. So tip your cap to them a little bit for that. But at the same time, like you said, Skinny, NKU had been playing fantastic on the defensive end for the better part of a month now. Right. I mean, they were really, really good, and they were really good for the first 30 minutes of this game. To see them fall apart and really kind of freeze up on that end of the court was surprising. And I know in our interview with Darren Horn after the game, you could tell that he was a little surprised to see his team go out that way, too. Uh, you know, they weren't great offensively down the stretch, too. It felt like they they got a little tight there and a little conservative. 
but the defensive side is what just made didn't make any sense because I mean they had been doubling Grant Basile, the big man for Wright State, yep. in all three matchups that they played this year and the entire game early. All of a sudden they started playing him one on one. They couldn't get the double team to him. He was catching the ball deep in the post to where it's too late to be able to double him at that point. You're not going to be able to stop him. It was there were a lot of things that just didn't look at all like the team we had seen earlier in the game or for the better part of the last two months. So. I, I, that that was a weird way to watch them go down. And going back to the final possession, I think Sam Vinson looked like a freshman in this game for one of the first times all year. He had been great all season long. He's going to have a brilliant career. He just didn't play all that well in this game. And I think his confidence might have been a little shaken. The idea there on that play is to have your biggest, most athletic guard get downhill and maybe either draw some contact or get the ball up off the rim, draw and help or, defenders or, or, so you have an easy putback, which right, is what they've or, done a or, lot or get- yeah, or get gapped in an easy kickout. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, looking back at the kickout, the pass to, to Bryson Langdon wasn't great. And I think he had Trayvon Faulkner at the top of the key, who might have been the better option there in rhythm on the trailer, given the, the shooting percentages of Langdon and Faulkner. Although Langdon's hit big shots throughout his career and clutch ones too. So I didn't really have a problem with the way it played out. I think a lot of people would say you got to get the ball to Marquez Warwick in that situation with the way he had been playing. And I certainly get that. But I also think part of the issue with Marquez Warwick, one of his weaknesses is his lack of physical strength. And we saw down the stretch when Trey Calvin was face guarding him, sometimes it took him five or six seconds to get open to be able to get the ball to him. Right. You can't do that in the last second play with, you know, you got under 10 seconds to go. You can't wait five or six seconds for him to find some separation and get the ball. So I kind of understand why they opted not to go with Marquez Warwick, knowing that he was going to be getting the most attention. It was going to be tough to get, to get the ball to him. Yeah. That's just, it, 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 that's the beauty and the, and the sadness of those one bid leagues, man. Those games are so great because they mean so much. And, and then there's the flip side of just the, the agony of losing a game like that. And, and you don't know, I mean, listen, it's going to be a really good team next year, but you also don't know how things play out. And if you get back and if the team's playing the way it was playing at the end of the year, that's the, that's the frustrating and disappointing part is how well they played for the last, what, six weeks or so. I mean, they were, yep. they were the best team in the league. And in some ways it still feels like, you know, they're trying to build this thing, trying to build it back up. They had that wave of upperclassmen and experienced guys that had already won when this coaching staff first got here. And they kind of had to rebuild that whole roster in their second year. So this is the third year. It's the second year with basically this group of guys. And it still feels like they're putting this thing together. So you're right. There's plenty of optimism going forward, but when you're in a one bid league, it's kind of what we talk about in the professional ranks where, Sometimes the year chooses you as much as you right. choose the year. And that can be based on injury, luck, a whole bunch of factors to be in that position where you essentially have the championship game one, you're up by 16 points midway through the second half and to see it fall apart the way it did. That's, that's just brutal. Yep. No question. We mentioned UC and they're about to play Kentucky will play on Friday night at eight 30. Again, we don't even know who they're playing. So it's not really a, a great conversation to have right now, but I will say Oscar Shibway was named sporting news, national player of the year. Not much of a surprise there. Skinny. We've been talking about it for a while. He has clearly been the most dominant player in the country on both ends. The thing too, is it's just the consistency level, man. It, it feels like you can look up on any given night at, five minutes to go in the game and he's at 18 points and 15 rebounds. I mean, it, it, you can almost book it. And th- that's the thing to me that that's the most impressive. Look, look, there are some scores that can get you 44 one night, 14 the next night. And you look up, they're averaging 23 a game, but there's, there's not a consistency factor to it for this guy, man. It is, 
you can make book on what that guy does every single night, and that's hard to do in any sport. I, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I can't remember the kid having a bad game. That, that's the thing. The, the level of consistency is just off the charts with him, and the energy. Playing hard is a skill. I know people say, well, anybody can play with effort. Anybody can play hard. Not everybody can force themselves to take their level of effort to the level that Oscar Shibway reaches That's on right. every single game. That is everybody a skill. thinks they play hard. Listen, yeah. every kid, they all think they play hard until you point out to them you're not playing hard. And that's what point to this kid and go, when does he take a playoff on either end of the floor? You you never see it. And he is so consistent with that high motor. And to be such a giant human being and to constantly be able to play that hard is He's kind of a freak in that regard. You just don't see guys with that type of endurance and uh, level of commitment to it. So, yeah, I I think that was an easy choice for player of the year, but no surprise to see those awards start rolling in. I'm I'm sure I'll get a few more of the big ones here as they continue to name them. I do have uh, a small betting segment for us, Skinny. We have the odds for the conference tournaments as they continue to be updated live here. Some of these are... Obviously, um, they're already a few rounds in. Do you, you want to go through these real quick for, sure. for a couple of the conferences and, and see if you like any of the value here? Well, I, I've, I've, I'll be honest with you. I've made some parlays with conference tournament champions along the way, so let's see where we go with this. Okay, well, t- tell me who you got and who you like. So I, I do this every year. I put about 40 bucks in the pot and trying to win a, a whole lot of money out of it, at least for me, a whole lot of money. So I pretty much divvied up conferences and who I thought were going to win them and then did my parlays. I did mostly three-team parlays, a couple of four-teamers along the way, but I divvied them up this way. In the SEC, um, I did not pick Auburn. I have Arkansas on a ticket. I've got Kentucky on a ticket, and I've got Tennessee on two tickets. I don't see how there's any way it's not a Kentucky-Tennessee semifinal. So one of those two teams is going to be in the championship game, and my hope is Arkansas is the other. I, in the Big East, I split them up accordingly. I took Villanova on two tickets, UConn on two tickets, and a flyer on Seton Hall on one ticket. In the Big Ten, I took Illinois on two tickets, Wisconsin on on a ticket, and Michigan on a ticket. And in the oh, in the Big Twelve, I took Kansas on a couple of tickets. Nobody else. I didn't put anybody else in there. And on a couple of tickets, I split Arizona on a couple and UCLA on a couple in the Pac-12. So not overly chalky, but I mean, I'll give you an example of one that I I kind of like. I've got a three-teamer with Wisconsin at eight to one, Tennessee at three and a half to one, Villanova plus one fifty-five to win five hundred bucks. What were some of the odds on the other ones that you put in there? Um, let's see. I've got well, here's one. I got Seton Hall at ten to one, with Kansas at two to one, Memphis at two and a half to one, and Arizona is actually an odds-on favorite. They were the only, I think, odds-on favorite other than Gonzaga to win their conference tournament. And I did these after Gonzaga had already won the the their conference, the Big West, or the West Coast rather. They were minus one twenty five, but that ticket, Rick, that four teamer again. I'm, I've got a long shot in there at ten to one Seton Hall, and I've got a little bit one at, with Memphis, but they're only two and a half to one. That's five dollars to win a thousand. I like it. I know. I do too. I I enjoy doing this because as much as I enjoy you know playing the games. It's just it's so hard for me during this week to go down there and, and make individual game plays. Um, you know, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, I can I can do it on Saturday probably because there's less games and I got a little more free time on my hands. So that's why I, almost every year I do this. It it keeps me interested in it. If I catch lightning in a bottle, I I got a chance to win anywhere from seven from five hundred to a thousand dollars. And if I don't, I'm out forty bucks. I'll live. 
It's a great way to play it. I love it. The, uh, the two teams that I've liked when I've been looking at the odds in the American, I like Memphis. I think there's some value there. They're, they're obviously em. the second lowest odds, but you could see Houston not winning this. They don't really need it for anything. Correct. They've dominated that conference all year. The only other team that feels like they really have a chance is Memphis to me. So I like those odds at what did you get about three to one? Uh, two point plus two sixty. Okay, so yeah, that's that's consistent three with, one. Yep. with what I've seen. Um, also in the ACC, how about North Carolina? You know what's funny? I, I put together a crazy ticket that's already gotten busted on me. I just wanted to see what I could get. It was five dollars to win two thousand dollars. I had Wake Forest, uh, Kent State, and I think I've already thrown the ticket away. And I had, I think it was Arkansas. So I had some long shots on there, just cause. Um, but I'm kind of with you. And in retrospect, after I made that, because most of these I looked at brackets when I did it to make sure that I was trying to balance like the Big East. I'm almost guaranteed to get a team to the final between Seton Hall, UConn, and uh, Nova and Villanova. They're all on the same side of the bracket. So I'm going to get one of those. And I, and I think any of those teams can beat the Providence Marquette Creighton side of the bracket. So that's kind of what I'm banking on there with, with, with that. And I'm kind of with you. The more after I looked at it and went and and, and I only put Wake Forest was literally the only Big East team I or only ACC team I put on a ticket, and I didn't really like the term itself. But the more I looked at, it, I went, "Boy, that Carolina Notre Dame side! How does Carolina not come out of that side of it? And if Duke can somehow get knocked out of the other side, then my golly, how? how yeah, I'm with you. It's a great value play, in my opinion. Yeah, and I was looking this morning before we did this podcast. I believe they're at ten to one odds yeah, to win crazy. the ACC. So it's like you know, I mean, obviously they're not the favorite this year, but they just beat Duke at Duke to ruin yeah. Coach K's party, which. Uh, a big win for everybody in college basketball. Let's just give it up for North Carolina, winning one for the country. That was fantastic. Well done, Tar Heels. But, yeah, I, I like them as a 10-to-1 pick. So, there you go. That was our uh, college basketball segment. Tough to do right now when you're in the middle of championship week and trying to record a podcast as teams are playing. But- I, I will tell you, I've, I've got them alive on a ticket, and they're winning as, I'm, as they're playing right now. I got them on a three-teamer. Right, here's what I got. This is probably my longest shot one of, of a three-teamer. I've got Kentucky and UConn, and then I threw Michigan in there at 14 to 1. Okay. They're on the same side with Illinois. So I've got Illinois on two. I'm just looking if that side gets busted. Michigan, to me, has enough talent to get to the championship game. All right. Well, let's switch gears here, move on to the NFL, where the same storyline that we've been discussing for a few weeks now is still the topic of conversation. The Bengals on Monday designated safety Jesse Bates as the team's franchise player. With the franchise tag, the Bengals can work with Bates' representatives on a contract extension until the July 15th deadline. Skinny, I'll ask you, what does this mean for the Bengals and Jesse Bates going forward, in your opinion? I, I wrote this last week after we did the podcast, and we talked about it last week. I just don't think I'm allocating big-time dollars at what his market value might be. Um, again, this is this is spot rack putting a market value on him of five years, 72 mil, kind of based on his performance level with some of those other high-paid safeties are getting and that's usually they're pretty good at putting a decent market price on a guy um rick you got listen after this year man you're one year away from joe burrow's contract being up and yes you can put the fifth year designation on him if you want to piss him off um or you can start to think about resigning you know you're not far away from t higgins rookie contract being up um logan wilson's rookie contract being up i as much as i like jesse bates as a player and he's certainly a guy that, that the locker room is a big locker room presence. He's great with us in the media. Uh, he does a lot of things. 
at the same time, I just don't know if it's a position I'm paying top dollar for. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm not. Maybe they, maybe they do come to some agreement, but if he's asking for top market value dollars, and I don't blame him because he might get that from another team that values that. I just don't. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's not that he may not be worth that amount of money in the NFL. It's not that someone's not going to pay him $15 million a year. It's just the fact that if you're the Bengals and you're in the situation that they're in right now and this window, can you really afford to allocate all that money to a safety that, again, he was really good in the postseason. I'm not going to take that away from him. He earned his money by playing well in the postseason. But for the majority of the regular season, he was – maybe just okay if you even want to give him that some people might be even less kind than saying he was okay so i just don't see how you can give him that much money i'm in the same boat as you with that he would make what 13 5 as the franchise tag player this year I actually think actually they they, they re- redid it back to 12 12 9 okay yeah. so 12 9 13 mil just 13 mil is a good round number to play it with. feels likely he'll play one more year as a bangle and then yeah. they'll have to figure something else out after that yeah and and listen you know i've i've done a couple of mock drafts and one I'm going to write online here the next day to the three rounder. I did not take this kid, but there's a safety from Illinois um, who, who's kind of a third roundish guy that feels very Jesse Bates. Like, um, you know, they're, they're going to need some safety depth. Um, you know, whether they sign a, a veteran and or draft a guy, it just feels like this is kind of the time to be ready to replace Von Bell and Jesse Bates of get, get, get your ducks in a row there. Yes. You can go that route in the next off season too, but Feels like kind of this is what this. It's funny, you know. I, if if they can address the offensive line needs and maybe the corner need through free agency, the draft becomes a luxury. In fact, one of the drafts I just did today, Rick, that I'm going to probably write to. I took a wide receiver in the second round, believe it or not, because there just was not a lot of value at the other positions around it. And it was a kid from Western Michigan who had a first round grade, and I'm like, you know, I got to look forward to the day of Tyler Boyd not being here any longer, and and I I could use a fourth wide receiver if somebody gets hurt. I mean. Hey, this past season, yeah, they missed T. Higgins for a couple of games, but for the most part, that wide receiver group stayed pretty damn healthy. That doesn't happen in the league all the time. Right. So uh, to me, I'm just, again, with Burrow coming up, Rick, and, and the T. Higgins of the world, and, you know, you're going to, clock's going to start counting down to Jamar Chase. I'm just not allocating money for a safety. I'm going to pay my other guys. Well, and with the Burrow contract coming up, you just saw what Aaron Rodgers got paid by the Packers to stick yep. around. That, that ain't going to be cheap to keep Joe Burrow. I can tell you that much right now. No question. Nor should it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be getting paid top dollar. I think he'll make as much as pretty much anyone in the NFL. And and listen, hey, the other part, too, is you got Jesse Bates for another year. Um, he can choose to make business decisions if he wants. I said this last week. I don't think he's that type of guy. If he wants to get paid after this year, um, he's going to have to play well. And so I think you're going to get the best Jesse Bates, too, which is great. It's I think it's a win-win for everybody. And it, Listen, again, you can't pay everybody. I know fans think you can't. Oh, but pay that guy. Pay that guy. Well, at some point, you can't pay them all. And, again, I got to prioritize where I'm going to start paying. And if you're going to say, Rick, if we're going to sign a couple of free agent offensive linemen, which the hope is they do, correct? They're not going to come cheap either. And that's not just money for this year, 2022. That's going to be probably money allocated for 23, 24, and maybe depending how long it goes out to 25. So it is always funny to read on social media how, everyone's just constantly saying things like resign Jesse Bates, putting, you know, all their emojis and different stuff. And it's like, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not against the notion of Jesse Bates being back on the Bengals, but I I'm think the decision either, is a little more. Dollar. 
Yeah, I think the decision is a little more nuanced than just constantly screaming sign Jesse Bates. I don't know Correct. that that's actually best for the team. And that was the column I wrote after we did the podcast last week. If they had the Bengals had an easy decision to make and a hard one to make, and the easy one was franchise tag, and the hard one is signing him long term for all the reasons we just talked about. Yep. We're going to move into some Ask Skinny Anything, but we'll stay on the topic of NFL conversation. First of all, Skinny, what do you think about the NFL suspending Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley for a year after he gambled on NFL games during the season? I mean, how stupid can you be? Then you literally admit it and admit how much you bet. I mean, the the, dot, the monetary figure isn't, you know, isn't really the thing. The fact that he literally admitted that he did it. Um, it, yeah, listen, you got to hold some level of integrity. I know it's hard and there's probably more things that go on that we don't know about that they don't know about. Um, you know, we were half joking, you know, Josh Shaw, a former Bengal got, got suspended for gambling a couple of years ago, if you remember. And I had somebody that texted me and said, remember the game in Tennessee where you committed three fourth quarter penalties on third down makes you wonder, doesn't it? Sure does. That's the whole thing here. It's what like people, some people think this isn't a big deal and that it doesn't deserve a year suspension. I couldn't disagree more. And that's coming from someone who obviously enjoys betting. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you cannot have people questioning especially when it gets out publicly. Like you said, there could be all types of things going on behind closed doors that we don't know about. There may be all types of conspiracies, and we'll get to that in a minute as one of our Ask Any Anything questions. And uh, deals being made and stuff, it may be really seedy and it may be really messed up and the refs may be cheating as we've heard about in the NBA before, all of that type of stuff. But when it comes out publicly and people know you did it, then you start getting questions about, like you said, is there any actual integrity? Are people throwing games? And the second you have people questioning that, it's over. Like it just, it's just, you, you can't have sports in the same manner that you currently have them. And people think that games are being thrown as a result of betting. And you may say, well, these guys are making millions of dollars to play the game. Why would they risk it all for betting money? And it's just not that simple, man. These are super competitive guys. It's something fun, it's something addictive that gets the juices flowing. It would not surprise me at all to hear about guys throwing a game because they've got money on it. And I, I go back to the Josh Shaw example. I mean, here's a little used cornerback, a little used safety man, defensive back. He's in a game in Tennessee in the fourth quarter in 2017. You can go look it up. I remember I was there covering the game, and I remembered I didn't think anything of it being odd that he was gambling other than I thought it was weird that the guy committed three three penalties on on three big third downs that – would have helped the Bengals win the game, and instead they lost the game. But then you look back a couple years later, he gets suspended for gambling, and you go, huh, makes me wonder. You also think about some of these guys and the entourages that are latched onto them and stuff, and even someone that was as high profile as Michael Vick and all the things that went wrong with his right. dog fighting ring and the guys that were hanging on and living in his houses and all that stuff. You could easily see how some of the hangers-on would influence one of these guys to, hey, I'm going to make a play on this game. Can you help me out here? Yeah, no, right. Uh, you, you just can't have it. I, I like in some ways, I thought a year suspension was kind of light for Calvin Ridley, Ridley if we're being honest. Yeah, I mean, I, that's I think it's only standard. And, and you're going back to the 60s for this, Rick, was when Alex Karras and Paul Hornig got got suspended a year for, for gambling. Uh, maybe that's the precedent that was set even back then. So I, I think I'm OK with it. Um, but. I definitely don't think it's too harsh. I don't think it's too harsh. I'm, I'm, I'm completely agreeing with that. Yes. All right, Skinny. Are you more intrigued by Aaron Rodgers returning to the Packers on a four-year, $200 million deal? Russell Wilson being traded from the Seahawks to the Broncos for three players, multiple first-round draft picks, and more? Or 
the Colts trading Carson Wentz to Washington for some third round picks. Carson Wentz is the least intriguing of that whole mix to me. I think it's Russell going to, to Denver because of now what's in that division quarterback wise. It's loaded. Holy cow. Aaron Rodgers doesn't intrigue me because honestly, I'm, I'm, I've, I've, I've tired of Aaron Rodgers. I really have. He's tiring. But the, the rust to Denver thing, especially in that division now, as good as it sounds, that might be a good thing for the Bengals because it may they just may cannibalize each other. Well, it could be, but it also adds to the sentiment that we've talked about before, which is people just assume that you know the Bengals' window is, quote, open now, and you got Joe Burrow, and you're just going to make these return trips to the Super Bowl like it's nothing because you did so early on in this process. Not how it works at this level, and certainly not in this current AFC. And you just added another guy in Russell Wilson who's going to make that war in the AFC and getting out of the AFC every year an absolute bear in the playoffs. No, I, I'm going to give credit to my former radio partner, Tom Gamble, whose sports takes I, I didn't always or very rarely agreed with. But this was what I did. It, it's kind of along those lines of every year people see the Bengals in this vacuum of, well, they're getting better. What do you think the rest of the league's trying to do, man? Yeah, they're trying to get better too. I mean, you've got Pat Mahomes, Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, and Russell Wilson as the four quarterbacks in the AFC West now. And honestly, I think this is gonna sound stupid because Derek Carr is probably the the one that everybody would take. I think the the one I take the least out of the bunch is Russell Wilson. I mean, at this point, you might be right. I, I I'd probably still lean Derek Carr just because. Russell that's has the, that, that's the that same history answer. of being special. Yeah. But it does seem like he's not quite the same guy anymore. Now, part of that's the guys that he was playing around at the end but uh, in Seattle. But I, I'm i kind of with you. I, I get what you're saying there. I mean, clearly, I think everyone would agree the top two guys are Mahomes and then Herbert. Oh, no question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a division. My lands. It is crazy. Uh, any any thoughts on the, the other two moves there with Rodgers and Wentz? There's something going on with Carson Wentz, right? I mean, three teams in three years now. Yeah, I uh, and some of the stories that came out there in Indianapolis and Jim Irsay and all that stuff. It was sounded like a weird deal that no one was too happy with. Yeah, no, it it, it was very weird. And look, Rogers, I think we all knew he was coming back. He just honestly, the whole this whole diva act of his is just tiring, tiring. If I'm a Packers fan, I'm tired of it. And I would say this. Guy, guy is obviously a multiple-time MVP, and he is great. You know, I'm not sure you've lifted your team, though, my man. Well, and that's the thing. And, I mean, obviously they're a factor, especially with him back. But I I don't really get the sense that they're a, a team that's going to win a Super Bowl here in the next couple of years just by bringing him back. I, I think they should have moved on. I, I do. I think you could have allocated that money somewhere else and started your rebuilding process. I think they're too scared to do it, to be honest with you, because of the, the public perception of that would have been bad. I get that. I do get that, and I don't necessarily disagree with them. If you can have a generational quarterback talent and a guy that is capable of leading you to a Super Bowl in theory, I get why you don't want to let go of him. We've seen how bad it can be when you don't have that guy, and we can see we've seen how hard it can be to replace a franchise quarterback. So I get why they'd be scared to part ways with them, but in some ways it does just feel like this thing has ran its course. Yeah, I, I think it has too. All right. This is from our guy, Jed Demusi. What's a sports conspiracy theory you can't prove, but you know, is true skinny. I go back to Michigan state the year they won a national championship. The year Kenyon Martin got hurt. 
I'll stand by this as long as I live. Them throwing a game to Wright State that year and losing to Wright State outright. I, I remember I, I called. I was covering a game in Louisiana. Kentucky was playing down in New Orleans in a in a kind of a, one of those like doubleheader type things. I think Kentucky played Tulane and LSU played Oklahoma State, if I remember. So I called my guy before I went in, and I was going to make a play on that game. And he said, it's off the board, Chief. And I said, what do you mean? He said, that line's gone down seven points from where it was. It, it, it feels fishy, and it's going off the board at every other place. I didn't think anything of it. I said, oh, okay, just moved on, right? Well, they ended up losing the game that night. And I, I, I was up, and they were up in, in, uh, in Cleveland that year. Kentucky was in Cleveland that year. I was covering Kentucky then. And my boss at the Cincinnati Post, because they got a one seed Michigan State because of the Kenyon Martin injury, um, uh, he said, hey, I know this is probably heaping on. Can you do like an extra story on them? Just what, you know, if they feel fortunate to get the one seed because I said, yeah, that'll be easy. I'll ask a couple questions and bang out 16, 18 inches. Be easy. So when I asked the question, the players are up there. I said, I think the question how I phrased it was, was what did the loss to Wright State teach you guys? And, and is it hard to believe you come from that point to this point being a one seed? And the players all looked at each other and started giggling. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, they did fix that game. That was the first thing that came to my mind. That's fantastic. I love a good sports fixing conspiracy. I, I stand, choose to believe I, they're all true. I'm standing by it. It's, it's long, uh, hey, Vegas usually knows, man. And when lines go haywire like that and they take it off the board, they know something ain't right. And then if you're trying to shave, right, and you shave it to the point where then you let a team hang around, well, then bad things can happen, like losing to right state. And you never want to lose in, to in a State. year where you ended up winning the national championship. Yeah, I'm I'm pissed off just hearing that Wright State got another win right now, and I didn't even know <laughs> that happened. Skinny, you're obviously a pioneer and innovator in the field of men's grooming, costume, and hygiene. What fashion or grooming trend of the past would you like to see come back? Fashion or grooming? I've never liked sideburns. Um, man. Boy, a lot of clothes in the past are bad. I, I like today today's clothes. Honestly, I can look back at 15 years ago and go, clothes are pretty clothes have been pretty good now for a decade plus. There was a time where nobody looked good in anything, and my era was part of that era. You know, I'm kind of a I used to wear instead of like three-quarter zips, I would wear some V-neck sweaters on occasion over stuff. I wouldn't mind seeing those come back. I'm okay with that. Well, like like the V-neck sweater with the um, button down over top, the collar popping out over it, or just like the V-neck by itself. Yeah, the V-neck by itself. But, well, no, you'd wear like a, a shirt underneath it, yes. Either either that with a button-down shirt or a, like a solid T-shirty thing. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know. I can't really place that, but I know what type of shirt you're talking about, but I just can't I mean, dude, visualize I, it. I wore a leisure suit back in my teens. Yeah, I bet that oh. was a good look. Oh, dude, the fashions of the 70s and for a good chunk of the 80s were just horrific. Go, I look like nobody looked good in the 70s. Nobody. Well, during the early 2000s was like the pinnacle of the uh, rap Baggy. and one mixtape tour, and everyone yep. was wearing 2X everything. So. Yeah, that, and that, I never liked that. that <laughs> it that, was a that, terrible and the look. To, that, and the, the kid who needs to pull his pants up all the time, pull your pants up, Junior. Oh, that was all, all of us, but the problem was everyone was wearing like a 40 waist in our jeans, and we were all like 34s, <laughs> 36s. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a bad look, dude. That was always a bad – I can't remember what I was watching the other day, Rick. It was – it was something on Kentucky high school basketball, maybe on PBS. And it was kind of a flashback to, to that early two thousands or mid two thousands. And it was those, the, the uniforms that Arkansas made fashionable with the long, long, long shorts. Oh yeah. Yeah. The ones I mean, today, I think uniforms today look sharp. Uh, you know, back in my day, we were all short shorts 
with the big high socks with the colored stripes over the top of it. That was a terrible look, too. I think today's uniforms honestly look pretty good. I think they're about the right length all the way around. But, man, those baggy ones, when you look back, you're like, God, you look like a bunch of clowns. You look such like a, a bunch of garbage bags. Yeah, such a bad look. The, the current uniforms are, are, I agree, are good for the most part. The one thing that I can't stand, and it's been bad now for well over a decade, is the shoes. We went through that period where everything was like the highlighter colors. Remember all the jerseys yep. were like yep. neon highlighter color and the shoes were neon. And then it's gone through a couple evolutions there, but now we're just in the like ugly for the sake of being ugly shoes where we've got like black and white polka dots, metallic silver all the way that look like some Michael Jackson deal or something. I mean, like just bizarre looking shoes, uh, you know, ones that have 18 different colors going on and intentionally don't match or look good at all. I am waiting for, and this is going to sound as old as anything as I've said, ever said is I am waiting for just like the clean classic yes. team look to come back again. No, no, I'm, I'm and it you. will. No, you know what? And listen, I know you want to try to give kids a little freedom of expression and, and you know, all that stuff. I think it's the uniform for a reason. You got to wear this. You're wearing the same color top, the same color bottom, and you all need to be wearing the same color shoes. That's just my opinion. And again, I know what type of blowback I'm going to get from my own friends for saying this. People are going to be like, you sound like you're 75 years old and you've been hanging out with skinny too much. You sound like, like the, this. sound like the old guy you're doing the podcast with. Yeah, that's exactly what people are going to say about this. But I, I, I have always liked, even when I was younger, seeing like, oh, that's the team shoe for the, them this year. That's that's a great look. I love yep. that. Like I loved when everyone had matching or somewhat matching shoes. They were all trying to get a, a similar look going. By the way, as as, I'm, as I was, we're doing this, I'm watching my Michigan bet go down in flames. They've pissed away a 16-point lead. The beauty of championship week. You yep. got to love no, it. No question. All right. Uh, our guy Mo Egger sends in this one. He says, one of the many features of watching college basketball games in March is the commercials. March Madness TV spots made Lily from AT&T a star, and they've mm. introduced Samuel L. Jackson to a generation of people who didn't grow up getting yelled at quoting lines from Pulp Fiction. One recurring ad campaign involves a national fast food chain that uses former UCLA star and former NBA player Reggie Miller. In the ads, Cheryl Miller's brother moves into a restaurant for the duration of the NCAA tournament. The ad begs pity for the employees of the restaurant because sharing one meal with Miller seems like an insufferable experience, much less a daily existence with him for three weeks. Anyways, please list the top five washed up athletes you'd least like to be stuck with for weeks on end at a burger joint. Oh, my heavens. I've wow. got a couple right off the top. All right, go hit, hit me on. Let me see if I agree with him. Number one, easily, Kurt Schilling. Yeah, he's a he's a bit of a tool monger. I'm not. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a pretty good one. Any guy who I think like, oh, cool, I get to hang out with a professional athlete and eat a meal with him, who's just going to yell at me about politics for like the next however many minutes. Don't want to eat with them. Do not want to hang out with that guy at all. Kurt Schilling off the list, easy. The second one that I would say. OJ Simpson. No question. Yeah, few, no question. Few reasons there. One, the obvious. Two, uh, the guy loves fantasy football. And I absolutely hate being in the presence of people who want to talk about their fantasy football team. So automatic no on OJ Simpson. I can't think of really washed up athletes I'd want to hang with at all. Oh, there's I, I think there's a lot of old athletes that I wouldn't mind sharing a meal. I, I'd say most of them, probably like 90% of old athletes. I'd be like, yeah, that'd be fine. I'd eat a meal with that guy. He can't be bad, you know? It'd be cool to hear, hear a story. That's the thing. Most of these guys who played professional sports have some type of story or two. Oh, no, there's no yeah, doubt about that. Yeah, yeah no you can question. hang out with them a little bit. Here's a, here's a couple of local guys that I'll throw out there for you, uh, or at least have local connections. Josh Hamilton. 
always just seemed like a jerk. He beats his daughter, apparently, uh, you know, had some other issues. I just don't think like Josh Hamilton would be a fun guy to spend an afternoon with. Well, hopefully he's not on a bender when you're having that afternoon with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, hell, that might make a, a experience inside a burger joint a little bit more enjoyable if he goes and shoots up in the bathroom with you. But <laughs> yeah, but then it becomes real loose cannon time. No, 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 thanks. Yeah. Then we might end up in the, the clink. <laughs> Um, another guy that I just always thought was one of the worst humans I've ever been around Vontez perfect. No doubt. No question. Yeah. Horrible. No and question. plus, plus like I wouldn't understand half the things he was saying anyways, during that meal. He, he, he is truly the worst guy I've ever been around in the locker room. Uh, Not I, even close. Totally agree. And the time, it, he, the time he took his junk out and tried to rub it up against the national national female reporter was just about enough. Well, and I mean, I, I was in a locker room one time. I only covered the Bengals a handful of times that year, the two year span that, uh, we're talking about here. I, I witnessed him opening up his towel and, and swinging his junk around in a female locker attendant at one point. So it's just like, I mean, that's what the reporters walking around the room. Everyone's there yeah. seeing him do it. I mean, yeah. he didn't care at all. So, um, and then finally one more uh, that has a Bengals connection. Terrell Owens just seems incredibly annoying. I don't think I could eat with him. Yeah. I, He's a he's an interesting cat though in in ways, but yeah, I'm kind of there's a lot of narcissism there. There's a lot of narcissism with Chad, but I I think Chad would actually be enjoyable. Oh, I, I yeah, I've I've actually been to a McDonald's I know you with have. Chad Johnson I know Covington. You I couldn't. That's a totally opposite situation there. I think he is totally enjoyable and great at being a normal human being. And I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't mind sharing a meal with Pete Rose to be quite frank. I've 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 actually had to you know been around him in a, in a work environment before outside of 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 sports so i've been a table over from him at the newport hooters which is about as pete rose of an experience as you can get i think i can only imagine if only there would have been legalized betting in kentucky at the time and we could have been sweating out uh over or something at the same or, time or, we were eating or, our wings. Or, or, or live betting while you were doing it the, the thing that always gets me about pete rose is the like ridiculously gaudy and ugly flat bill hats that he wears no doubt i, I don't get it it's unbelievable he always has the worst looking reds hat that was made in the last couple of decades at all times no matter what it's like oh he got the gold and black sequined reds hat good i was worried no one was gonna buy that off the shelves He's the only one that did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Lids has to love that guy. They come out with all these dumbass hats every year, and he's the only one buying the Reds ones, I think. <laughs> uh, with Coach K retiring, Skinny, who's on your coaching Mount Rushmore for all sports? Well, you got to have Nick Saban up there, right? Yeah, I think you do. <laughs> I think you do. I know this isn't going to be popular, probably. The guys, and I know he just lost a game in, in, a, in a conference that they were the best team, but Rick Pitino's up there, in my opinion. I have him on my list as well. Um, let me think. You got to have you got to have Belichick up there. You don't have to like him, but he's got to be up there. Yeah, the only football guy that I think comes to mind, like NFL guy that comes to mind ahead of him, would be Lombardi, and that's going back to an era I didn't even watch. Yeah, um, and and he won NFL championships before there was anything called a Super Bowl as well. And then he goes to Washington in one year and turns them into a winner. So, yeah, he's probably damn close to being up there too. Um, I can't put Wooden up there because it always feels like there was a dirty factor to him with Sam Gilbert. What about Dean Smith? I always – this is going to sound terrible because he won nationally. He was such a winner. I always – Thought he underachieved to to a degree with the amount of talent he had. Former players love him, though. He gets a lot of credit for being a great guy. 
I know that. I'm noting you. And his teams were always fun to watch, and he won at a high level for a long damn time. So here's an NBA name that I'm actually not— See, I'm not not sure I can put— The only NBA name I can put up there is Red Auerbach, only because he built the Celtics and not just coached the Celtics. Okay, so I'm I'm kind of in agreement with you there then, I think. Uh, Phil Jackson, where do you have him in this? Because I'm just not enamored with Phil Jackson the way a lot of people are. Yeah, I don't want to be unfair and say that he didn't have a hand in two franchises winning multiple NBA championships because he did. Right. But no offense, I, I wouldn't have minded coaching Jordan and Pippen in that group and then coaching the guys he had at the Lakers. I, I, that, that's I, the whole I, thing. Who, who else had that during their career right. when you've got a couple of the best generational players of all time? That's why I go, if you're going to put any, that's why I didn't put anybody in the NBA. I guess if I would, I, I would put Red R back on there because like I said, he didn't just coach the Celtics of that era. He, he built them. And he and listen, he took some chances, obviously, in, a, in, a, in an era where um, there wasn't a lot of integration. He had a pretty integrated team. Any other names you want to throw out there for your uh, – Trying to think if there's anybody ba- – or Earl Weaver in baseball would be up there. That was the hard one for me was coming up with any MLB names that I really felt had separated themselves, and I just – I didn't really think of it that way. Yeah, there's the, – I, I just don't think the manager matters much in baseball. I never have. Yeah, I mean, I, I put Earl Weaver there – because he had a philosophy and he stuck to it, but he also had the greatest pitching talent of his era by far across the board, 420 game winners and a Hall of Famer in Jim Palmer. He had a lineup that included Boog Powell, who was a two-time MVP, and a Hall of Famer in Brooks Robinson, a Hall of Famer in Frank Robinson. It's a pretty good talent. So, yeah, no, it's a legit point. It is hard. I think I'm with you on that. All right, two more here. After watching Elite Corso look-alike chair guy at the Horizon League Finals, what is the best halftime entertainment Skinny has seen? Uh, th- he's talking about the Amazing Slate Act. Have you ever seen the Amazing Slate Act, Skinny? I've not seen the Amazing. Give me, give me a lowdown on the Amazing Slate Act. It is the worst halftime show you will ever see, oh. and I don't mean that it's not impressive. But there is a man who I think he's sixty-six years old now. I looked. I tried to look it up. He puts this little platform at midcourt, and then he stacks chairs. These white wooden chairs, he stacks them and climbs up them. So, like, I mean, he goes, you know, 20 feet high probably up towards the scoreboard in the middle of the arena, and and then he's at the top of them, and then he has to balance himself and bring all the chairs down. Like, find a way to deconstruct this big tower of chairs that he's built up to the the top of the arena. And it's like, you can't be doing things like that when you're 70 years old, which he damn near is. There's all... It's fine. Every time he does it, it's great. It works out, and the fans are like, oh, that was impressive and everything. But there's only one way for this to end, and that is yeah. a 70-year-old dude plummeting to either his death or paralysis. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, do you, it's like one of those ones where you're watching it, not only in amazement, but holding your breath going, I don't want to watch this old but man die. I hate it for that exact reason. Right. I'm just cringing the whole time going, oh, no, don't do that. It is it's so nerve-wracking and tense, and it's like really, to me – not all that entertaining. Like he's just climbing up stuff and you're holding your breath the whole time going, I hope this man doesn't die. And now at this point, it's, I hope this old man doesn't die. I wonder what the insurance policy for that halftime act is. If he dies on your watch. Yeah. Great point. I I can't be much because I know the horizon league isn't paying much for it. Well, I I know, but I I guess you could also, if you're a fan and you get the emotional scars of watching somebody drop to their death, there's gotta be a potential lawsuit there too. I would kind of think so. I'll tell you this. I'll be filing a suit or at least seeing what my options are. Like I've had to watch this guy for, I don't know, eight, 10 years now between Xavier games and other events that I cover. And it's like, 
I see him at least once or twice a year. And every time I'm just like, oh, is tonight going to be the night or not? Now, the best one I've ever seen, it still comes, it, it, there's no question about it. It, it. it was in Denver on a Monday night game back in whatever year that was, 15 or 16. I guess it was 15, maybe. Um, when A.J. McCarron had the quarterback and uh, they lost in overtime on a field goal where they had mutton busting at halftime. That's where that's where kids, little kids ride these, these where they sheep, I guess, and they have to try to stay on and they go flying off half the time. It's the damnest thing you've ever seen. Uh, what about the monkeys riding dogs? At monkeys Ball riding Brown dogs Stadium? is good. Yeah, that's a Bengal. That's a Bengals classic. Monkeys riding dogs is a damn good one too. That's one of the more incredible things I've ever seen. Just period. Uh, I yeah, didn't the, know that existed before I went but, to that but, Bengals game and saw it. The mutton busting almost looks like child abuse because they put the little helmet on them. Kind of sounds. Prepared, like they stick them on the back of these things and they're they're gonna fall off. I mean, that's part. Of what, they're gonna fall off the damn thing. Like things take off running, they go falling. You're like. And I, it was one of those ones at halftime. Usually, I'm trying to catch up from the first half and write and get myself organized for the second half. For the and you can't stop watching. Game. And I end up watching the whole thing. It was yep. fascinating. That's that's the sign of the good halftime show is when you can't get your work done. When you're like, I just have to stop and watch this. There's only a couple that really do it, Jimmy. Frisbee dogs is one of the best. I love frisbee dogs. Frisbee dogs you. is really good. It's always hard to not watch that. Yep. Like like scout that little tiny dog that goes flying through the air. Always a, a crowd favorite. I always watch that. Um, Red Panda say, is Red Panda is still impressive. I will say what we did is degenerate sports writers. This was like three years ago. It was a the last regular season game. I think it was the Rex Burkhead, the game he ran for over a hundred yards. Um, it was it was mascot football halftime, and we did a mascot oh. fantasy draft for money. <laughs> I love that. There's no like we that. we literally did what we did because the game meant nothing to any of us. It was like literally we're gonna write our little quick game or nobody's gonna write an analysis piece from this. Nobody cares. Just get the damn thing over with. So we were able to enjoy halftime for for once. Uh, I I absolutely love betting on not not just betting but drafting fantasy football teams for mascot football. That is great. Uh, I, Paul, Paul Daner had Paul Daner I believe had dibs on Benny. You know who Benny is. I have no idea who Benny is. <laughs> Rumpke's recycle bin mascot, Benny. Well, in fairness, that is that seems like a load of a mascot. Like yes, you don't indeed. have you don't have the small skinny girl in the dump truck uh, mascot. And the thing is, outfit. a couple of them trucked those because they were playing like a, a youth football team. That's a couple those kids part. got trucked. I'll say the UC Bearcat is always a savage in the games. Like I've seen the UC Bearcat absolutely crush kids. That's my, not good. I, I think, in my opinion, the most impressive, like the most skilled out of the halftime entertainment shows I've seen is Quick Change. I still don't know exactly how they do it. I'm not sure I've seen that one either. You haven't seen Quick Change? Uh-uh. Oh, wow. You need to see Quick Change. Yeah, it's like this this lady and guy, uh, I don't know if they're a couple or not. I think they are. But the, they twirling like uh like a flag around the lady's body and when you when he pulls the flag off i mean it takes you know literally as long as it would take for me to walk a circle around you with a flag around you covering you up in that time that you're covered up you've changed clothes when she comes back out she's in a new dress and then like the big the big last finale is he throws confetti over top of her and by the time the confetti's fallen to where you can see her she's changed clothes again I, I believe it or not, one of my one of my great skills in life though is I'm pretty good at changing either into like a <laughs> back when I played softball I could change out of a softball uniform into at least some level of work clothes or vice versa I can go from work clothes into like 
practice gear as I'm driving. <laughs> that's that's good. I would like to see a skinny quick change halftime show, but I'm going to tell you this is like they've got something going on. My theory has been there's some type of like rip away clothes system. Sure. So it's like right. it's stacked inside and they're like pulling a rip cord and dropping these things like Velcro or something. I don't know, but it looks to me every time I see them, I've seen it so many times at Xavier that they're like sticking their finger, like a thumb or something that they're like hooking something and pulling as they're doing it. So I think that there might sense. be some type of ripcord. system. I, I can see that. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. And we'll wrap up with this. Another internet debate that has had social media in a craze. Uh, someone sent this over to us. Are there more doors or wheels in the world? Skinny. Hmm. More doors or wheels? Yep. Let me think. Four, eight, ten. I'm going to say wheels. I totally disagree. I think it's doors. Well, I'm thinking of my house here now. I'm looking at, well, you know what? Hang on. I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm going to count them. Nine, 10, 11, 12. I think we've got 14 doors. Oh, plus two garage, 16 doors. Two cars makes eight wheels. I've got a wheelbarrow that makes tw- that makes actually three. That's, I got two wheelbarrows actually. That's six, 14. I think I got an equal amount in my house because then I've also got a snow pusher thing that's got wheels. You got any uh, I got bike. We got, we, got, we got two bikes. That's rolling on wheels. You got any chairs? Yeah, no, we do. Yeah, I'm going wheels, dude. I'm, I'm clearly going, yep, my, my suitcases. Yep, I'm going clearly wheels. But here's the only thing, though. Almost anything that has wheels has doors as well so all of Not your cars necessarily well most thing i mean like any car that so people are going to say oh that's where a lot of wheels come from four cars you're right that also well, has four doors you're right i forgot about the four doors there you're right a lot of those cars are going to have the same amount of doors uh if it's like a dresser or a uh, hutch or something type furniture like that that has wheels you usually have doors that open on that your house like you said there are more houses than there are cars in the world so the house is having multiple doors and each house is going to be. I think there's a pair. I think there's a pair of roller skates still in the, in the garage. There, there's more wheels. More wheel. I'm, I think it's doors personally. I'm going wheels. I'm sticking to it. All right. Do you have any, any other uh, points you need to make about why it's wheels or can we end I this don't. thing? I don't. <laughs> Is, is there a correct answer? Do I get a, do I get a prize for the right answer? No, it's the same thing as when we were doing uh Socks yeah, or chairs, you know, I mean, it's I, just everyone argues and no one knows. No, it, it was another favorite Tom Gamble game we used to play on the radio called Subjective Trivia, where your answer may not be the right one, but it also may not be the wrong one. Yeah, no, that's a great way to do it. And, uh, yeah, we did our best. That was our take on the Internet debate of the week. And uh, I don't think we solved anything. So. All right. Rick, appreciate it as always. We will be back uh, next week. Actually, yeah, we'll be back next week. We'll talk some NCAA tournament. We'll probably be back on uh, Wednesday, I would assume, so we can get some NCAA tournament preview talk uh, underway with that we'll see what uh, what's going on with the xavier situation and much much more maybe we'll have some news on the baseball front as well and of course nfl free agency at that point will be underway by the time we podcast even though free agency signing starts on wednesday we'll probably know before that starts uh, probably a couple of players the Bengals are going to sign when four o'clock hits on wednesday so we got a lot to get to on next week's podcast join us then for rick roaring i'm richard skinner it's been the skinny podcast the weekly potpourri edition presented by ryan Kiefer of prime London.